Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, Rose's name is Rose, and we are back to talk about the Twilight Saga, New Moon. New Moon! What is the, um, uh, how is this, what is this one's reputation, uh, among Twilight fans? The most useless to be in touch. Well, it, it really, it really depends on if you're a Jacob Stan or an Edward Stan. To be entirely mm. honest, it really like because for me as a resident Edward Stan, um, team or Team Edward as it is, sure. um, I consider this book to be pretty useless in terms of content. However, if you are a Team Edward or excuse me, a Team Jacob, this is probably like one of your most important books, honestly, um, because mm. Edward is gone for most of the book the book is like depending on depending on which edition you have it's like somewhere in the range of 500 pages 400 Mm -hmm. 500 pages and for and edward's only there for like mm, six seven eight chapters something along that line so most of the rest of it is is pure jacob content so it really depends i it, it doesn't there's no straightforward answer but it does have the iconic um the iconic October, November, December, and January chapters that are just the names of the months. And that is really, it is really an iconic um, staple of the Twilight Saga for most fans is that October, November, December, January. Pretty good. It's interesting, actually. They had that kind of like iconic, like formal, you know, playful thing in the book. And then they, I feel like kind of did something like, like a good version of that in the movie too. Yeah, no, I actually really like how they did it in the movie. I actually, we, me and my, one of my new roommates rewatched the movie last night in preparation for this. Um, I reread the book a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago at this point. I can't remember. Um, but we watched the movie last night and I was like, oh man, I got to give it to them. Like the, the turning around and around really is fun and not something that you see in a lot of other media, especially for that much time passing. It's kind of, a, it's kind of interesting. So I agree with you there. Yeah, I read a little bit about the uh, the VFX of it, and they basically had the rotating shot of um, of, of Kristen Stewart, and then they had a, a separate shot of just like out the window. And I don't know if they had like a green screen setup like on on that side of the window. They might have, but then like they sort of CGI'd like different seasonal effects onto the the setting cool. of, of just like outside that window. So it was like a two two shots mixed together. Cool. That's awesome. I was actually curious about that last night. Again, thinking about talking with you about this, I was thinking about the green screen and things like that. It's it's a really, really fun, visually, a very visually fun scene to watch. So yeah, I guess this must have been where the, the Team Edward, Team Jacob stuff started. Yes. Hells yes. Which is interesting. That's that's sort of like the first thing you think of when you think of Twilight fans is is you know the two teams. That was such an iconic moment. <laughs> yes, and like funnily enough, I mean Jacob was in the first book, of course, um, and the first movie, but very little. The first the first Twilight, it, in whether in book or movie form, is mostly about Edward and Bella falling in love. It, there's very little about Jacob. Jacob is there to drop off her truck with his dad because it used to be theirs. 
And he's there a little bit later to warn her away from dating Edward without knowing why he's supposed to do that. His dad sent him. But those are really the only two moments that Jacob has in the movie, definitely. In the book, there might be a couple more, but not much. It's mostly about Ella and Edward. In mm-hmm. New Moon, once Edward leaves, and Edward leaves for reasons that, you know, Jacob Jacob stands obviously condemn him for. Edward stands try to... Um, protect him from but he leaves her because he's supposed he wants to keep her safe he wants to keep her safe um the original like the very opening of the book one of the first few chapters she had it's her birthday so she's at a birthday party at his house and accidentally gives herself a paper cut while opening one of her birthday presents now giving mm-hmm. yourself a paper cut around a bunch of vampires is um a really great thing to do as a human um and all of them, most of them are obviously what they what they call vegetarians. They only uh, eat animals. They only take blood from animals. Um, but one of them hasn't really been at it as long. And he does try to kill Bella. He does try to kill Bella when she cuts her finger on the piece of paper. Yeah. Um, Edward, obviously she's fine. She lives. And Edward basically sees that as like the final straw. And is like, I... I'm doing more damage to your life by being here and basically eats himself out of the picture. Bella mm-hmm. then spends months depressed. This is where the October, November, December, January comes in and basically wakes herself up enough. And on her, upon her waking up, she finds these two motorcycles on the side of the road. Now in the movie, um, she just brings them to Jake and says they're at, they were at a junkyard. I saved them from a junkyard she finds the two motorcycles on the side of the road and brings them to Jacob to be like, Hey, can you fix these? Because I want to do daredevil things because when she does daredevil things, she hallucinates Edward's voice telling her to do things. Girl's a little bit delusional. Girl's a little bit delusional. She's a little heartbroken. I mean, like, aren't we all been there? Yeah. (laughs) We've all been there. We've all been there. Um, you know, Listen, she's in a she's in a she's in a world with with werewolves and vampires. She's allowed mm-hmm. to be a little bit delusional, okay? Yeah, I feel like where I would have liked to see the series go from here is each book is Bella falling in love with a different sort of creature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would have been a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. Instead, we get Renesme. We'll talk about <laughs> Renesme later. We'll get to Renesme. I'm sure. We'll get to Renesme upon the Breaking Dawn part. Two, if we want to split that up into two parts since there's two movies but yeah. breaking dawn we'll get to renesme um but yeah that would have been fun her going from vampire to werewolf to you know witch or i don't know yeah some other thing like a Whatever. frankenstein monster you know <laughs> exactly. exactly 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 no but instead instead we stay with these two men for the entire rest of the time that's basically where Half of the plot drama comes from. I mean, listen, people were doing love triangles way before Twilight. But as I, as we kind of discussed last time, um, Twilight had a lot of influence on the literature genre, like the literature genre, on the genre of literature that it's in fantasy and especially YA fantasy. Um, and the success of the Team Edward, Team Jacob, as you said, that's what you think of first when you think of Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um the success that that wrote on caused 
I mean, that entire section of, of romance novels to mostly have in some form or another love triangles. It became a yeah. staple of that genre was love triangles. Yeah, we see it in, in Hunger Games and we see it in mm-hmm. like, like everything that came out of that YA boom has that same mm-hmm. sort of effect. And often like, I feel like other attempts at that often like there's one guy who's clearly better. Exactly. <laughs> So it, yeah. exactly, you're a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent correct, and that's that's part of the reason that I can't stand uh, love triangles uh, nowadays. Is because there's always one that is clearly better. You're just trying mm-hmm. to pull more people. And listen, I get it. You want you want the girls to read your books. I understand a hundred percent. But it just it it pisses me off to no end because the the only most of the time it is completely unnecessary. Now, again, Ed, Edward and Jacob the OGs or not, you know, you know what I mean by saying the OGs, they, they, I mean, she kept this, she kept this push and pull the entire time. And I actually, I actually have a friend that I cannot talk to about Twilight because mm-hmm. we are such, we sort or you're so set on which guy we think is better. Like the, to this mm-hmm. day, we cannot discuss team Edward or team Jacob. Um, yeah. Because she thinks that Edward's an abusive asshole. And I think that Jacob's an abusive asshole. <laughs> and we cannot see eye to eye yeah i mean it's it's what i said in the last episode twilight you know raised all these questions that people are still debating exactly it's exactly what it did and i mean listen the writing was the writing Mm -hmm. and like and every it's been better since then but as as we said in the last episode it is it is the original for a reason and it is original it is the like it even though the writing wasn't great and by the way the writing in New Moon, I will say, is slightly better than in Twilight. It's mm. slightly better than in Twilight. I'm not going to give it full marks, but it's definitely... She has learned to be a little bit more descriptive. And another thing mm. I think we also talked about in the last episode um, was Kristen Stewart and her acting choices. Um, and another read-through of the book and a rewatch of the movie. I mean... Bella as a character is a lot more feisty than the movies give her credit for. Mm. Um, Like, yes, she's in love with Edward, sickeningly so. And yes, she's a little bit of a klutz, but she's not stupid. And a lot of the time the movie, the movie seems to portray her as someone that is a little bit slow on the uptake, if you know what I mean. Like everyone around her is making decisions for her. And she's not really, she doesn't really have any agency, like not, at least not a ton of agency. There's moments, there's moments in each of the movies where she comes out swinging just a little bit. She gets frustrated Um, and she comes out swinging, but pretty much every other time she's just at the mercy of the ways that the other people around her are thinking and feeling. And in the, and in the book, she's a lot more feisty than that. She has a lot more like, no, I will not do that okay, I will allow you to do that. No, I will not do that. And something that I will say, I will give to the Jacob stands. I will give to the Jacob stands. I will, con- I will um, give this concession. Is that in New Moon, he is absolutely what she needed at the time. Now, do I think that his behavior for the rest of the book, like the rest of the books is great? Not particularly. And especially in the movies. I mean, like the movies, in the movies, all of their, it seems like all of their worst traits are amplified, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, Jacob honestly seems like a young lost puppy for most of the movie. Edward is 
even more melodramatic than in the books, which none of us knew was possible. And and Bella is a little bit of a pushover. And in the books, they are more complex than that. I mean, and Jacob was good for her and good to her when Edward wasn't there. Now, you know how we feel about consent in this household. You know how we mm-hmm. feel about respecting people's choices and respecting their opinions. And that's what Jacob fails to continue to do. He does it for most of New Moon. And I can see why the Jacob girlies fall in love with him. Listen, no one cannot appreciate Taylor Lautner, okay? When you put a face like that on that man, I understand where the obsession comes from. But yeah. he listens her and he listens to her, he lets her be, and he's a great friend to her up into a, up until the point when he wants her as his girlfriend. And then everything that she wants, everything that he knows she wants pretty much goes out the window. And that's where I lose a lot of respect for Jacob as a character is because once she makes it clear that like, it's Edward, it's always going to be Edward. Edward is the number one, which one can argue is good or not. Like, that's not what I'm arguing right now. Um, Once she makes that clear to him, he, instead of, you know, placing his own boundaries he continues to try to convince her that he is better for her. Like instead mm. of just, you know, removing himself from the situation, which would have been the more healthy option. Now, again, this is like 2008. So not everyone's had therapy yet, but like, but instead of just being like, no, if you're going to be with this person that I really don't appreciate, I'm not going to be around you. He he's, he's around because she asks him to be, but continues to disrespect what she's telling him. And babe, I don't think it's fair that Bella continues to ask him to be around when she knows her his feelings for her. But even so, I mean, it's not her responsibility to have to keep telling you no. It's your responsibility to respect that no. And that's where I start to have a problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, we'll, we'll start to get into the history and things. But I think, uh, you know, um, Stephanie Meyer kind of talks about how she um was was starting to plan the sequel when she was still editing the first one and when she came to the realization that edward had to leave that's sort of what drew her to expanding the jacob character um mm. and it definitely like like you were saying it feels like he is a character of utility and then when we have this moment at the end of, I assume at the end of the book and also at the end of the movie, uh, where, where Bella says, don't make me choose because it'll be him. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it creates problems for what you do with Jacob after that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. It does create a lot of problems because you've created a character that now was so important for the last 400 pages and now yeah. he's become. I know we said we'd get into Renesmee later. And when we do do that episode, uh, we are not allowed to call her by her name. That's that's how the fandom works. You're not allowed to call Renesmee by her name. Anything mm. that starts with an R is acceptable, but um, anything but her name. Uh, Rutabaga is a popular one. Sure, um, sure. Et cetera, et cetera. But this is, this is what a lot of people got very upset about with Renesmee. I mean, that's basically Stephanie Meyer hail marrying mm-hmm. this this care like this this plot hole this plot yeah. hole that she's created by makeup so important making so many fans love him because he was so important and then being like well edward's back now now we have a lot a lovesick puppy 
Yeah, that people it feels want. like it feels like she starts to approach the idea of Jacob becoming an antagonist, which I think is a good idea. But then, be- yeah, it, it feels like she's aware that there's a whole team Jacob out there, so she doesn't feel like she can make <laughs> make him the antagonist. He just has to kind of antagonize people <laughs> and still be a love interest. <laughs> exactly, you're so correct. You you summed it up incredibly well. It's exactly. He it, it's he's going to continue to antagonize them. And you're sitting there going, "But why?" You're sitting there going, "But why?" Well, why are we? <laughs> yeah. Why? why do we need to do that? Like and I mean to step to Meyer for thinking this far ahead. I mean there's a part at the end of the uh movie and the and the book where Jacob is obviously talking to them in the woods. It's a different setting in the book, but it doesn't really matter. The conversation is still is still important. And he says, let me remind you of a key part of the treaty. It's not that you kill someone, it's that you bite someone. That's mm. what will break the treaty. Now, that was obviously not in the first book. They a little, I mean, she a little bit retconned that because that was mm. not a part of the original story of the the treaty. Um, mm. And I'm sure it was not, again, not as important until she realized that Jacob was going to become a bigger role, as you said, like it, like, and the, and the wolves were going to become a bigger role for the rest of this series. But that doesn't become a problem until the fourth book. Like it doesn't become a problem until way later, but she put it in there earlier so that, oh, well, now we have this dilemma where if Bella becomes a vampire, like she desperately wants to be, um, it's going to cause problems for everyone involved, not just Bella, not just Edward. Gets picked up by a publisher, and Stephanie Meyer knows it's going to get published, and and she's like, okay, I need to start working on a sequel. And she starts writing mm-hmm. a sequel called Forever Dawn, um, and then like like she gets she like finishes it, and then she's like, wait, Twilight is being marketed as a YA novel. I didn't really think of that. This this <laughs> sequel takes place years later, and there are no YA elements. So she she threw out that sequel and started over. Um, Damn, I'd give anything to get my hands on that manuscript. Yeah, someone asked her about it, and she said. Uh, Quote, for one thing, it's not great. It's downright embarrassing in some places. Which for Stephanie Meyer to say that <laughs> makes me really yeah, want to read it. Damn, yeah. <laughs> you think it's bad. I can't imagine what it was like. Mm-hmm. But I want to read it even more now. Absolutely. So she starts from scratch and she's talking about the senior year of high school and she just as she's fleshing out the story, she just like realizes that Edward has to leave. That's just something that she's like kind of set on and so again mm-hmm. that's what leads her to sort of flesh out jacob and since twilight hasn't been released yet he she kind of like gives him a slightly bigger role in the first book oh so she she put him in she edited twilight to go back and make jacob a little bit bigger so that she'd have room to make him bigger in the second one yeah i feel like it was late enough in the process that she couldn't have like fundamentally changed it but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. she went back to it interesting fascinating the first book is based on is inspired by pride and prejudice this one is based on romeo and juliet yeah uh and the first scene that she wrote was the confrontation with the volturi and the clock tower she wanted to set it in a fictional city as opposed to forks which is real and she came up with this remote town in tuscany called volturin and then she looked it up and she found out that there is a city in tuscany called voltaire real i went there in september actually so that is very real 
<laughs> she came up with the fake city and she was like, oh, this is real. So she, <laughs> so she said it there and said, that's hysterical, dude. I literally didn't even know that. I love coming on these podcasts with you because I learned all the history that I have not looked up yet. Yeah. Um, dude, that's crazy. And you want to hear something else? You might have come across this in your research. Um, mm-hmm. When they were filming the movie, they tried to get it filmed in Volterra because obviously she said it there. And Volterra said, no, we don't want your movie here. Yeah. And so they they put it in uh, Multipucciano. Um, yeah, yeah, I think they said at a certain point that it like was closer to what was described in the book, but it seems like they also couldn't get Volterra. Yeah, yeah. They it, it, it Listen, it is pretty close to what is described in the book. I will, again, uh, we, we did this in September. I actually went on a Twilight tour when we were there because I, I am a menace to my family. Right. And, um, <laughs> and, um, I, they were like telling us about like, and it was, it did, it did look more. And I again, went to Volterra as well. So I could see, but they, the, the woman was like, yep, they just wouldn't let, they wouldn't let them film here. Uh, that's, that's not, that wasn't what they were about to do. And I was like, that's hysterical. It is. Really um, funny. that's really wild that she went back and like, edited jacob in because jacob isn't even like he's not even a huge part of the first and and like you said it was probably late enough in the process that she couldn't go back and like rehaul the entirety of twilight but yeah i have to imagine jacob was like barely there in the original draft like was just like a character yeah i mean like billy black jacob's dad is one of charlie's best friends so like Mm -hmm. i imagine that billy was there because billy's mentioned in the first book more than Jacob is because he's Charlie's mm-hmm. best friend. And so she may have had an idea to have Billy have a son that Bella knew when they were kids because they've been friends for a really long time. Right. Um, but it probably didn't go past that. And then she went back and went, Oh, Oh, we're going to need, we're going to need more characters than just Edward because Bella's going to be, Bella's going to be destroyed when he's gone. Yeah. The book comes out 11 months after twilight, September, 2006. Um, demand was so high, the pre-order copies were selling on eBay for over $300. Oh my god. It instantly topped the bestsellers list for children's chapter books and stayed at number one for 11 weeks. And then, it was even more popular when the movie came out. That's the thing, like, you know, when, when the Twilight movies started coming out, it was like, this was already a big phenomenon, but it was like something totally inescapable for like, three years. Once those movies oh, came yeah. out. New Moon was the second biggest selling book of 2008 after the first Twilight, and it was the biggest selling book of 2009. Wow. <laughs> Three wow. years after it came out. Wow, dude. That's crazy. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, like we said, it was it kind of became a hit. It became a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And these were... I, I was, I'm just... The, the eBay copies is really throwing me for a loop here. That's really funny. Yeah, um, and you have to imagine, like, these books were, like, kind of emo and probably had their, like, niche in the market when they came out. And then when the movies came out and there were these huge mainstream hits that everyone was talking about, these big studio blockbusters, I feel like a lot of people, I mean, you know, teen girls who hadn't read it yet, te- you know, other teens, adults who are hearing about it now, mm-hmm. like, a, a lot of people who, who wouldn't have been part of the Twilight audience necessarily probably came on to it because of the movies i completely 100 percent agree um i mean the movies are a way to get movies are a way to get more people because they're they're two hours of your life instead of however long it takes you to read a book mm-hmm. um and 
I mean, listen, my mom read the entirety of the Twilight series because because I was reading it. She wanted to make sure that they were age appropriate for me. Mm. Um, I was not allowed to read Breaking Dawn. I read Breaking <laughs> Dawn anyway, but I wasn't allowed to read Breaking Dawn because it had sex in it. And we were, what, 12, 13 at the time um, when Breaking Dawn came out. So I was forbidden from reading it. I went ahead and got it from a different library and read it anyway. But mm. that's how that, but you, you're right. It was inescapable for so long. And the movies really just catapulted that. Um, Absolutely. November, 2008 days before twilight's premiere summit entertainment, uh, acquires the rights to the book's three sequels. Oh, wow. Yeah. Melissa Rosenberg, who wrote the first film was attached to two and three. They didn't set a writer for number four. Cause they, I guess they wanted to be like, if we do three and people lose interest, then we'll just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair. So just one day after Twilight was released, New Moon was greenlit. Um, Melissa Rosenberg wow. already had the script finished by the time by the time the movie was announced. Um, she just oh sort of got God. rolling like before they hired her. Um, she like that summer she alternated between writing episodes of Dexter and writing New Moon. <laughs> That's hysterical, dude. What a what a different what a different and similar different yeah. yet similar mindset she needs to be in. <laughs> Totally. Um, a few weeks later, it was announced that Catherine Hardwick would not be returning to direct, citing time restrictions. Um, it was this whole there. There was this whole thing about like it was the highest grossing movie directed by a woman, and she she got fired. Um, and so there was a lot of questions about what happened there. And a couple weeks later, mm-hmm. Summit and Hardwick both came out and said that. Uh, she wanted more time to flesh out the script and the studio wanted to get the movie made in like a year. <laughs> got it. So it was a little yeah. bit of a, got it. Okay. Yeah. They, Listen, just wanted to, they just wanted to turn that thing out. Yeah. I wish they'd let her have a little bit more time. Although in a, in a wild way, I wouldn't have, I would not have guessed that they were two separate directors. You know how mm-hmm. you watch, I know, I know we don't talk about, um, the dreaded witch herself but you know how when you watch the harry potter movies and you you can see the difference in director yeah like they whenever they change directors you could see a significant difference in tone in 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 color etc 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 um you can't really see it you really you really can't see a difference from the first movie to the second movie yeah i think there are differences that feel deliberate in terms of the like like the color palette is a little warmer um mm-hmm. and there are th- th- things that sort of surprised me in reading it about about how different the process was but yeah i mean it it, it doesn't feel like this is a, a a new director taking it on and again i think that's partly because summit was like let's turn this thing out by the time they found a director which we'll get into they had like 12 weeks before shooting to get everything together um mm-hmm. They they want the studio and I'm sure Stephanie Meyer wanted it to be a continuous thing, and I would really like yeah. to see where where Hardwick kind of went with this series because I think her style is really interesting in the first movie and and in her other movies. But, yeah, um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. It, it it doesn't feel really like like it's another director. Yeah, it doesn't. But now that you actually met, like now that you tell me it's another director, I actually commented to my roommate last night while we were watching i was like oh they look even more pale mm-hmm, around mm-hmm. 
the humans than like it, more pale than I was even. And I thought for a second, our color balance on our TV was off, but honestly, it would make sense that in this movie that has, that's supposed to mostly do with this werewolf that runs super hot. I mean, the, the, the dichotomy between Edward and Jacob is old as time. One runs super hot, saying at a toasty 105 degrees body mm-hmm. heat. And, and Edward is supposed to be cool as stone, practically yeah. marble. And, like that's how And Edward runs super fast. <laughs> yeah. It, it has, Edward runs... You, you were holding on to that one, weren't you? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was waiting for it, yeah. <laughs> Edward does run super fast. Um, <laughs> so does Jacob, technically, when he's True. in his wolf form. Do, do, actually, speaking of that, Jacob does a lot of running in this film. Every single time he leaves the screen, once he ter- gets turned into a wolf, he is running. Like I, I and, But like jogging. Not like fast running, just like jogging off screen. And I'm like... <laughs> whose decision was that it's, it's pretty funny <laughs> i mean i guess it's the thing where like he he like bulked up a lot since since bella last saw him and maybe it's just like mm-hmm. he has to be athletic all the time no literally that's i it, I, it happens so often i mentioned it i was like why is he always running away <laughs> why is that his thing um anyway anyway yeah. the point is uh, the point is to bring it back i it would make sense that this movie was colored a little bit warmer because it's supposed to be about people that are actually alive, not about the vampires. Like the vampires are, who are not technically living. They don't have Mm -hmm. blood running through their veins. They're not, their hearts aren't pumping. So you see these vampires looking even more pale than they did in the last movie. Mm -hmm. And then they all leave and everything is kind of like, they basically just turn the warmth up on the, on the color balancing it's true. um and it's it, it's really interesting in that way totally and there are other there are other things that we're going to get into a bit that like some 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 really interesting deliberate choices that were made um mm-hmm. i do think this movie is uh a, a significant step down from the first one but but there are some mm. interesting choices there no i agree with you i th- to be fair i agree with you mm-hmm. but then again i'm also looking at it from a plot perspective like and from a storyline, oh, Rocky, don't even get me started on, like, the last, I don't know, four scenes of this movie. We'll get into based- it. Yeah, we'll get into it. But anyway, keep going. In- Go ahead. Initial reports were like, this movie's going to get delayed. They don't have a director. But then a week later, they announced that Chris Weitz would be directing it. Uh, he had previously done American Pie about a boy and, most relevantly, The Golden Compass. Uh hmm it was like a year before Twilight and, you know, sort of had that same like teen fantasy vein. Um, by the time Whites was announced, he had about 12 weeks to get everything together, as I said, including casting the Volturi, uh, before shooting was oh, set man. to begin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Interestingly, the press release for this announcement mentioned Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, but not Taylor Lautner. It was a big part of the press cycle. It was what everyone thought was going to happen. They were like, in the books... Jacob gets a lot bigger. Taylor Lautner's this tiny guy. They need to find someone new to play Jacob. They have to recast him. Oh wow, wow! I didn't know they tried to recast Jacob. Yeah, it was it was like it, it was it was take it was like a given at a certain point. Like it started with rumors, but there was like they didn't put him in the press release. They were like, okay, they're finding a new Jacob. Um, and there was this interesting power struggle actually because like 
You had Michael Copan, who was like a guy from One Tree Hill. He was one of kind of the main name that was being floated around for it. And then you also had Taylor Lautner, who was like working out, <laughs> trying to bulk up and trying <laughs> to like vie to get the role back. Oh my god, that I can't imagine Jacob not, as not Taylor Lautner. That would have been oh my goodness, it would be crazy. That would have made him feel like a different movie. <laughs> that would have made him feel yeah, like a different. Yeah, that would have definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You're like kid yeah a very um of its time thing is that michael copan updated his facebook status with posts like michael copan is in a twilight zone and michael copan is the oh older jacob black stop it i oh my <laughs> god not on facebook on facebook three weeks later chris white's announced via stephanie meyer's website that taylor lautner would be returning to play jacob thanks to his incredible physical transformation he had gained like 30 pounds in a month <laughs> Oh my god. I almost feel bad for him. That cannot be healthy, dude. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, listen, good for him. I am so glad. Listen, where the hell have you been, Loka? Would not have been the same it's without true. without our boy, Taylor Lawton. That's his real impact. You think you're joking, but you're not. Yeah. The rest of the Quileute were cast with actual indigenous actors by casting director Renee Haynes. They had to have, like, papers. Um, and and she had also put together the largely Native American cast of Dances with Wolves and Bury Me at Wounded Knee. So, like, everyone except for Taylor Lautner was, was actually Native American. I'm glad to hear that because, I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the more recent thoughts of revamping Twilight, which personally I don't particularly agree with, but I have no sway over that decision mm-hmm. um you should but you don't I, sh- I should i really should maybe if i publish my twilight paper someone will ask me my opinion mm-hmm. um i mean they stephanie meyer is unfortunately pretty well known for being a little bit racist and by mm-hmm. a little bit i mean racist mm-hmm. um i mean she famously wouldn't allow anyone but white people to be in the cat i mean they had to fight to get Laurent in there for the first movie as mm-hmm. a black actor. Um, and I mean, she's been using the Quileute tribe for obviously years without any form of repayment, any form of like respect toward their culture, um, except, you know, stating that they are in fact Native American. Um, it's just, I'm glad to hear that they actually took, they actually got indigenous actors to play those roles because from everything that I understand about Stephanie Meyer, that wouldn't have been at the top of her priority list, unfortunately. And in fact, probably would have been not her first choice. So I am happy to hear that. I know that Meyer was very involved in the first movie and also like was, was like, getting on like Skype calls with with um the screenwriter as 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 they were going through the script but i it seemed like again because of the fast track that this movie was on and that the other sequels were on yeah. she probably was not able to like interfere in the process as much probably yeah she she is a very hands-on from ev- from everything that i've read she's a very hands-on she wants she wants everything to be just the way that she wants it mm-hmm. um but i'm glad to hear it and listen do i do I wish they had cast a an actual indigenous man to play Jacob, the titular character of that tribe for the movie? Yes, but yeah, especially since they were yeah. planning to recast him anyway. But <laughs> yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. 
I don't know this man from One Tree Hill. Mm-hmm. If you tell me that he is actually um, indigenous, that's great. I'm going to assume he isn't mm-hmm. and say, if you're going to recast him anyway, anyway. But they started off with Jacob and I'm glad they kept him because that would have, as you said, felt like a, a new director and it would have probably thrown a lot of people off. I, I don't Definitely. like I don't like when they recast roles. I really don't like that. I mean, obviously for long series, it sometimes is inevitable, but you know. That just yeah. makes well, that just you, makes you gotta everything finish what feel kind of yeah. Exactly, it just makes everything feel kind of like like a college film, like a mm-hmm. student film. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of the director's choices that 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 he made, Chris White's decided to use golden tones for the color palette as opposed to the very blue tones of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he also shot on film. He used different uh, camera rigs for like different points of the story. The Bella and Edward scenes were shot on dollies, so they had this very like stable kind of look to them. And then the Bella and Jacob scenes were using steady cams. So they were a little more, uh, you know, had a little more movement. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This was this was the thing that kind of blew me away. They shot in Vancouver instead of Portland, where they shot the first movie. Um, they the reason they shot the first one in Portland was because at the time the U.S. dollar had dipped below the Canadian dollar, so it was like slightly cheaper to shoot in <laughs> Portland, and then that flipped. So they had to recreate the locations. They for the Cullen House, they like found a house in Vancouver that was like similarly like glass walls and high ceilings and stuff and then they just shot yeah. different parts of the house so it would be like it's the same house um oh my god for the swan house they rebuilt it on an empty lot <laughs> oh my god oh yeah. my god and they were as they were recreating the house um it had been repainted so they had to watch the first movie on Blu-ray. Are you kidding? Oh my god. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. You watch your own movie. Yeah. Apparently no one takes pictures i that's his that's his that's hysterical dude you think really wild you think that's that's funny wow well good for them and any shots that had the exterior of the school they had to shoot on a green screen yeah that makes sense they can't recreate a whole freaking school yeah it was i i mean again we're talking about how like this feels this feels pretty continuous uh, with the first movie, so it was kind of wild that they like shot in a whole different place and had to like, you know, kind of pretend yeah. that they were in the same location. Yeah, that that is crazy. That is that I would never have guessed that. I mean, like, I'm kind of curious. I you you probably haven't done this research, but I'm curious what they did for the next two, the next three films. I mean, yeah. did they go back to Portland? Did they stay in Vancouver? Did they just pack everything up and put it in there and just wait for like? Because yeah. the especially the Cullen House, specifically the Cullen House, that is a huge part of Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2. Uh, if not Eclipse. I haven't seen Eclipse in a really long time. Um, I have a confession to make, actually. I only watched, I've only watched Eclipse and New Moon, I think, once mm-hmm. ever before rewatching New Moon to have this podcast with you. Um, because I hate Jacob so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also... There's just a lot going on in both that. Well, anyway. Yeah. But I, w- I would love to see what they what what they're what they're doing with the rest because the Colin House again specifically is a huge part of Breaking Dawn's part part one and two. Yeah. So 
we'll have to see about that. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to they see. also had a different composer on this one. I do think the the score is is kind of interesting for this one. But uh, the first one was Carter Burwell, who did a lot of the Coen Brothers movies, worked with Todd Haynes a lot. And this one was by uh, Alexandre Desplat, who won the Oscar for Grand Budapest Hotel, then again for Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, two, like, very, two, two of the best, like, film composers working today. Right, right, but different, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and I think you, I think you can pick up on it if you're paying attention. Uh, also the, I mean, this sort of ties into, I feel like, the warmer tones of the movie. They, the soundtrack is less, like, hard-edged rock and more kind of indie. There's, like, Death Cab for Cutie and Bony Bear and Grizzly Bear on there. Yes, 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 yes. Although, it listen, there's nothing that ties Twilight to most people like Supermassive Black Hole. True. Um, but <laughs> you're right. These these songs were a little bit softer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it also, I mean, it, it makes sense, ties in with her mood, as uh, Bella's mood as a character as well. I mean, she's supposed to be heartbroken and then recovering from this heartbreak. It's not a story of first love it's not falling in love it's not exciting and like a rush like that you know yeah um and i think she comes into the first movie like she's in a new town and she's in this really defiant like it, it makes sense to have exactly. that kind of emo sound for her and then this one the like lost love it's a little more tender a little more um uh vulnerable exactly exactly and i think i'm the mu- the music definitely reflects that although soundtrack still goes hard soundtrack True. still goes hard they asked Paramore in in June two thousand nine if they would be returning, and 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 Zach Farrow said, "We don't want to be like the Vampire House Band." It was really fun to be a part of that and great exposure, but I think Twilight was it for us. <laughs> well, I is it didn't one of the I think it was one of one of the people that let they let use their song on Twilight. I cannot remember who it was. Was very like once once it became the international phenomenon that it was. They were like. I can't believe we let them use our song for that uh-huh. stupid movie. Like, you know, <laughs> like, but I, I wish I could remember which one it was, but I, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Um, it's funny that they just, wild. it's funny that they asked Paramore. They were like, you guys are the Twilight guys, right? <laughs> You're going to come you back. Guys, you guys, yeah, you guys, you guys did the thing. And they were like, yeah, we did it once, but we're good. Yeah. <laughs> did, you know, did you know Stevie, did you know Stevie Nicks actually wrote an entire album based on Twilight? Oh, wow. I don't think I did. Yeah. Specifically, I believe, actually, New Moon. I believe it was specifically New Moon. She saw and she was like, I'm in love with these characters. Like, I, like, this, this it literally inspir- inspired a whole new album she wrote after watching Twilight, um, which is, I think, the best little piece of trivia that I've heard from the Twilight Saga, which is saying something, because there's a lot of good pieces of trivia there. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this now. She uh she she thought she was done. She like wasn't going to do another album and then the new moon inspired mm-hmm. her to get back into it. Mhm. Exactly. Hell Isn't yeah. that crazy? Isn't that That's wild? Cool. The power of Twilight, man. Absolutely. So the 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 promo for this film very of its time included a trailer drop at the MTV Movie Awards. Stephanie Meyer appeared on the mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey show and it was a big thing. Um the film set new records for advanced ticket sales with some screenings sold out up to two months in advance. Wow. 
Uh, and then, like, Eclipse was already in production by the time it came out. November 20th, 2009, it broke the record for the single, the biggest single day box office gross in history. Uh, in the, the domestic, it made $72 million on its opening day. It held that record until 2011 when Deathly Hallows Part 2 did $91 million. It also did $26 million in Thursday previews, which got broken by Eclipse the next year. Um, and it set the record for, the it, it had the biggest opening weekend without any like IMAX screenings. I think the other sequels did have IMAX, and it held that record mm-hmm. until this week when Barbie broke it. When the Barbie movie, broke <laughs> yeah, it. I I actually heard about that. I was I was uh, looking at some stats for the Barbie movie, and I was actually surprised to see how many Twilight movies were on that list. I was feeling a little bit of pride for my babies. Totally. Um, that's and that's really I, the Rocky. The thing I can never get over with this with this series, with the movies and the books, is just how influential mm-hmm. and and crazy mm-hmm. feral everybody went for mm-hmm. these for these books and these movies that people have condemned since their since their conception. Um, I mean. There has been Twilight haters since Twilight became a thing. And sure. now, granted, most things have haters. There's yeah. always going to be someone that doesn't like something, right? And I think especially in that era, if something was popular, it was hated. Exactly, exactly. There was a there was a big uh, hashtag not like other girls uh, era of existence was the mm-hmm. 20, the 20, the 2000s and the 2010s. Yeah. Um, I was thriving in middle school. That was sarcasm. That was sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to be clear. Just to be clear. Um, but it just, the whole, th- it's these books that were, that are, I mean, openly publicly ridiculed still to this day are made the butt of jokes and, and they're out here smashing records, smashing records. Yeah. And some that are, again, not held until 20 years later. The whole thing is really, it, it's kind of, it's kind of mind blowing when you think about it, when you think about it's, it's not like it was, it was, it was never going to be Oscar worthy, right? Like it was never going to be the Grand Budapest Hotel. It was never going to be any of these things that people put like hours and hours and hours and like, I mean, obviously people did put hours and hours. It's a movie. People, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. people put hours and hours, but like, it's like Shrek, right? No one mm. expected Shrek to become a huge thing. And now who doesn't know what Shrek is, right? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because we associate the 2010s with this era of, like, super blockbuster Disney, like, mega franchise excess and, you know, mm-hmm. record after record getting crushed. It's wild how many of these records Twilight managed to hold. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's crazy. It still it still has the thirty third highest opening weekend of any movie. Uh, remains the the highest in the franchise, and with a budget of only fifty million dollars, it is the lowest budget movie to make more than two hundred million dollars in its opening weekend. Damn, go you go, girl. Good yeah. for good for them. Damn, I mean, like again, it's just it's so it's so insane to me. It is so insane, and like we want to talk about low budget. I mean, they were still the effects that they had to do to get the, to get the werewolves and the, like, and all of that happening. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of the fun little pictures of Jacob in his (laughs) morph suit with, Mm -hmm. you know, little things all over his head. Um, Those are really funny, but 
to have to have to make a movie that did need maybe not a significant amount of effects, but definitely more effects than other things. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, there's, you know, the werewolves do not look good in this movie, but, you know, um, they had to be there and they did what they could. And it was a huge (laughs) hit. They had to be there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They had to be there is the thing, you Mm -hmm. know, like Jacob transforming midair. Is a, is a pretty fun moment. I'm not going to lie. I was yeah. like, damn, let's cool. go. Yeah, so huge hit, especially in opening weekend. Um, it received significantly worse reviews from critics than its predecessor. Roger Ebert gave it one star and said, quote, The Twilight Saga New Moon takes the tepid achievement of Twilight, guts it, and leaves it for undead. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> damn. This is crazy. This is what's crazy about it. Every, like, literally, it was... like. People love to hate on it more than almost any, like, and, and yet it still holds the record, like you said, for lowest budget, highest grossing on opening week. Like, it yeah. still holds all these records, and people are still giving it, like, gave it one star, and no one cared. They were just obsessed. Yeah, and it's interesting to, to think about, like, when Doom Moon came out, people were like, this is so much worse than Twilight. And I feel like the the reputation... You know, like, by the time this movie came out, people hadn't totally soured on the first Twilight movie. There was still this memory of that movie coming out and people being like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. It's just interesting how it all works. No, exactly. I, exactly. And like, you know, yeah, there were haters, but no, like the, like I said, the reason the books became like, they weren't as bad, right? At the time, Mm -hmm. no one was reading it being like this. No one was reading it being like, this is literature. This is the new Shakespeare. But like, they weren't they weren't bad they're badly written reviews, in comparison yeah. to exactly it's badly written in comparison to what we have now how much the genre has grown over time and and when now that we have like good writers in the genre <laughs> i mean obviously <laughs> in every <laughs> now like every genre has has good writers and bad writers good stories and bad stories like it's you know they're not all gonna be hits right yeah as you mentioned that it is funny how stephanie meyer didn't realize she was writing a ya novel (laughs) yeah that's really funny to me but no you're right um i don't know (laughs) but you're right that um you know it, it broke a lot of doors open for the genre and i think that's why it was well received when when the books came out and when the first movie came out um because it was this different kind of tone different ideas being brought into it and um the writing wasn't always great but you know the we it was good for the time we forget the impact yeah exactly it was it was good for the time and you're right we forget the end you're right because we we forget the impact because we have better now because people have learned more now and you know again broke open the genre so people could people could be like oh yeah i want to be a fantasy writer and no one and there's less people sitting around going "Mm, you really shouldn't do that there's no there's no whatever for you there's no market for it right Mm -hmm. obviously you walk into a barnes noble every single time you walk into a barnes noble every single time you walk into a local bookstore there's like new fantasy new ya new young uh new new adult every single time you walk in but twilight when it started was great and things grew out of that grew off of that but as you said twilight the first one was good new moon new moon i think both in movie and book form was a little bit of a letdown Mm -hmm. to the to the original 
No, as you're talking about genre, it was I was looking at some of the awards that this movie was up for, and it's like, Lautner won the Kids' Choice Award and the Teen's Choice Award, Pattinson won the MTV Movie Award, uh, they were like both up for some of these awards together. Lautner won like some some like young young actor, young artist awards. Pattinson was nominated for Worst Supporting at the Razzie Awards, but it was nominated for mm. Best Horror Film at the Saturn Awards. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I could see it. I sort of read that before I watched it. I definitely think it has more of a horror sort of thing going on relative to the first movie. It's very tame and, and I mean, but, but like, you know, we're talking about Jacob's werewolf transformation. I think the, so, so some of the werewolf scenes are, are, are sort of like, they, they have the, the shock factor to them when the Voltori kind of disintegrate that guy. It's interesting that like, you sort of yeah. see the, the progression from they're they're bringing in the, the like a little bit more horror it lost that award to drag me to hell which i would say is fair but it is That's interesting fair. no it is i mean like in the first movie you, you have you know the scene with um james the vampire james when he kidnaps bella tries to kill her and it's a pretty intense scene you know for a for a teen movie Mm-hmm. Um, it's not marketed as a horror movie. It's a pretty intense scene. And none of these were marketed as horror movies, but I can a hundred percent see it with the werewolf transformation with, you know, the fighting between different people with, you know, Bella getting thrown across the room and getting glass and like, and especially, I mean, I would love to hear what people thought about for, for breaking Dawn part two. I mean, there's an entire practically like a bloodbath in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just this fun, happy-go-lucky. Well, I don't think anyone would ever call Twilight happy-go-lucky, sure. but there is this darkness to these movies. I mean, that's what grew out of that. It it was born in the emo in the emo age, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a darkness to these movies that I don't think people think about when you're thinking of Twilight, the romance novel with the vampire. Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean, he sparkles for crying out loud. You know, like that's that's not. That's not typical vampire lore. I mean, pretty much everything about this vampire, this werewolf, both of them, goes against a lot of the classic lore and goes against a lot of the horror that is is encompassed in mm-hmm. both of those lores. Mm-hmm. And yet, they're still monsters. Like, it, you know, Jacob transforming, having all their bones crack, having one of them, you know, all their bones crack. That definitely, you know, you bring a kid to that who is not aware, not prepared it would definitely scare them. I would be scared as a kid to see that, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you think of things like I just, I watched a trailer for a new horror movie on TikTok this morning. I, Mm -hmm. I'm not really a horror fan. And I was like, I, you know, immediately was like, yep, that's not for me. Interesting for the trailer. Not for me as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you think of horror, you think of things like, Oh, it was the exorcist, the new exorcist movie. Right. Um, when you think of horror, you think of things like that, but it definitely has horror elements to it in a way that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah, and I think it's more into, like, it it confronts the idea that these characters are, like, vampires and they kill a lot and stuff, more so than the first movie does. In the first movie, like, when you have Mm -hmm. those scenes, like the kidnapping scene, they're they're scary, but in, like, a a thriller kind of way, they aren't treated as horror as much. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I don't think we have time to get into everything about the movie, but uh, we can start to dive in... With um, I, I mean, what I found really interesting about this movie, and I'd never seen it before, um, it's like 
a lot more um like psychosexual than the first one it's it's interesting because like textually it's a movie about uh abstinence <laughs> which which mm-hmm. I didn't really expect mm-hmm. but it is so much hornier than the first movie at the same time Bella is so horny dude yeah. Bella I <laughs> really I literally don't know what to tell like I, it is so funny to me especially with like smut in in today's day and age smut becoming such a huge portion of young adult and new adult i mean not technically young adult because that would make it new adult but Mm -hmm. in this fantasy genre smut is such a huge portion of writing today you almost cannot get people interested in your book unless it's smut unless i'm just on that side of tiktok and we're just not going to talk about it Mm -hmm. but there's a lot more it's a lot more open today bella Though they though they they don't have sex because because of Edward, mm-hmm. Bella is so horny. She yeah. constantly wants more than what Edward is willing to give her. Like she she you know she respects him. She doesn't she doesn't she pushes a little bit in the way that's like I you know I want you. I think you're hot. I want more. But he's but he's always like no. I don't really want to kill you. And she's like fine. Um, yeah, it's just something that nobody thinks about until you until you read the books, really. Mm-hmm. Even in the even in the first one, not the movie, but in the first book, she's constantly trying to get him to kiss her more, to mm-hmm. let him to let him to let her touch him. Like it's it's really funny considering this is written by a Mormon writer who is writing about teenagers and a vampire. It it's very funny. Yeah, and there's there's all kinds of little things in here with like. Um, I mean, again, I, the, we, we see more of that, like, close-up vampire stuff, which I think is a little more erotic, but then there's also, like, you know, Jacob and his bros hanging out shirtless, and, and, right. uh, um, the, the whole, the whole subplot we were talking about with Bella becoming, like, a thrill seeker when, when, when Edward leaves, like, that is really sexually charged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First, like, like, early on in, like, her first conversation with Edward in the movie, and then when she's starting to to fall for jacob and they're having these conversations she's bella is like constantly poking at like the the age differences between them and like the power imbalances between them yeah and listen in the book it is it is talked about so much more often Mm -hmm. um it is a huge part of part of the book the age difference thing um and even though they're only two years apart now granted when you're teenagers 16 and 18 can feel like a huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're both in high school and things like that. But yeah, it's the whole thing. There is very, it's very, and, and Jacob doesn't like it. Jacob doesn't like when Bella points out that she's two years older than him because he is in love with her. He's starting to fall in love with her. Um, and he wants more than she'll give. And she's so goddamn horny. It is unfathomable. Yeah. But she, but she's still in love with Edward. But she's still in love with Edward. So she's taking all of these risks, taking all these things, both to you know hear his hallucination voice, mm-hmm. but also to get out some of that aggression, some of that tension. Um, yeah. Both with Edward, who's not even there, and Jacob, who is there, but she cannot allow herself to connect with in that way. Yeah. It was the. Uh... <laughs> the, the the hallucination of Edward is is pretty funny. Oh yeah, he's he's really funny. I, I again, we support all of our Delulu girlies wherever they are. Mm-hmm. However, 
having that be a main plot point mm-hmm. like is it's it's entirely unnecessary in a way that is hysterical like she could be doing you can still have the whole plot of her doing daredevil stunts simply like simply for the the fact that she's heartbroken you don't need edward's voice you know what i'm saying like how many of us have gotten heartbroken and decided to do something really reckless or want to do something really reckless true you know you just want you just want that thrill you want to feel what you lost or something close to it and doing something dangerous can do that you do not need to add edward and his voice to tell her to stop but it just adds to the overall point that jacob was never going to be he was never going to be the one he was never going to he's all he's been he's competing with a ghost whether or not like he's competing with a man who is there even when he's not is there even when he's a ghost and it and it just and every time they get anywhere close to that intimacy that jacob wants and that bella is craving not from him but just in general um there's there's that there's like the very next scene there's something big going on there's something happening that's like gets your adrenaline pumping you know or that has just happened like they kiss when she falls. They almost kiss when she falls off the bike the first time after they go bike riding right. in the movie. So, like, I think it is very uh, intricately intertwined, yeah. as it were. And the the thrill seeking thing obviously culminates in Bella jumping off the cliff, which oh yes, <laughs> the, her motivation is is in, a little in all of her clothes in all of her clothes <laughs> because that's way to swim after jumping off a cliff (laughs) yeah i i i i I was yelling about that last night as we talk about it i get that that she's become a thrill seeker and there's the ultimate thrill but like in the moment i don't think it it necessarily does a good job of being like and then of course she jumps off the cliff (laughs) no exactly no exactly i cliff jumping is so funny to me like bella of all the things that you could have thought about, and I get it, I get it for the plot. They had to see her jumping off a cliff because that's a great way to commit suicide, mm-hmm. and that obviously pushes forward the rest of the plot. Right, it's the but, Romeo and Juliet um, thing. Exactly, it's the Romeo and Juliet thing. And I mean, the book and the movie start off with the same Romeo and Juliet quote, so you know what you're getting into immediately upon sitting down to watch the film. You know there's going to be some dramatic, even for people that didn't read the book, right? Like there, you know there's going to be some dramatic. Romeo and, Romeo and Juliet type of yeah, and even Edward at the beginning is talking about oh I envy how easy suicide is for humans yeah like, that, that was something I thought was really interesting how like Bella is jealous of Edward's immortality and Edward is jealous of mortality yes of yes absolutely of her humanness I mean that is you've hit upon the crux of this entire book series right now I mm. mean and book series. Yeah, book series and movie. It's all Bella wants is to be immortal. That's all Bella wants. And even at the very end, um, when they're doing that vote um, on whether or not she can, quote unquote, join the family, mm-hmm. um, Rosalie says, both in the book and the movie, like, I I appreciate you going to Italy to save my brother because Rosalie's been treating her like an absolute pariah. And she's like, you know, I appreciate it, but I wouldn't have chosen this life for myself. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody else. So it's a no from me. And in the movie, um, they sidestep Bella's response. 
in the book, Bella says, you know, I feel the same way about all of you. And then internally winces because she didn't mean to say that about Rosalie. She doesn't, she doesn't mind that they, they don't want the immort They don't want the immortality. Right. Mm -hmm. She, she is like, she understands where they're coming from. And Edward specifically is worried about her soul. Like this is, uh, he wants to keep her human. This is like, this is the entire underlying problem. Yeah. She wants to be a vampire and he wants her to stay human. Yeah. But it, that is their entire conflict. The soul thing is such an interesting, like, it's the first time that it becomes an explicitly religious text. But I think the idea that, like, you know, it's this, con- it's this conversation with Carlisle as, as she's, like, recovering from the, the paper cut. And, and, and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, Edward believes that he's been damned and he's he's now you know lost his the kingdom of heaven yeah yeah and then that that sort of drives and then the very last line of the movie i'll turn you but only if you marry me like it 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 becomes such an interesting christian uh (laughs) narrative listen listen there's that mormonism coming back into play yeah like it is kind of funny for it to be so Christian while being written by a Mormon writer. However, I mean, Carlisle even Carlisle specifically, even in the first book, was explicitly religious. Mm-hmm. He was he like his his father was a preacher, mm-hmm. um, and even though as I can't remember if this was said in the book or just the book or if it was in the movie as well, Carlisle says like, "Oh, my father was a preacher," and even though I wasn't really. I was starting to question his ways of going about his faith when I was alive. I still believe that like this, that, like this is said, I think actually this is just in the book um, during a moment when he's stitching her up, he's like, I, you know, starting to disagree with what my father was, was doing, but there's, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that God exists. And I'm hopeful. I, all I wanted to do was do good. And I'm hopeful that I still have a soul and that I, that if, and when I eventually, you know, um, die, I will, there's something else waiting for me. And Bella, Bella immediately is like, Bella's immediately like, if anybody has something waiting for them, you do, you, all you do is help people. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yes, I hope so, Bella. Thank you. But can you imagine if you thought as Edward does, Mm -hmm. would you be able to take his soul away from him? Mm -hmm. And, Bella, of course, goes silent immediately, and Carlisle knows he's kind of got her because, I mean, that the whole point is Bella and Edward will do anything for each other except the thing that either of them wants. But she, I mean, every single time in the book or the movie, he talks about suicide. She's like, "Don't even, don't even let me contemplate that. I can't, I cannot think about being in a world that, where you don't exist." Mm-hmm. And you know, so the the soul thing is really is really interesting. And by the way, in the <laughs> in the book, they do not end on him uh, proposing to her. Um, in the book, he, he, they're just talking in her bed because he's like, all right, fine. You want to be a vampire? Uh, you have to marry me. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she says, if I have to marry you, I want you to do it. That like, it's, re- it's reversed. She's like, I, and she, by the way, first asks if he's joking. She, and she's like, Edward, you're joking. I'm not getting married. And he's like, you want to become a vampire for eternity, but don't want to get married. <laughs> like what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, like, you know, eventually they have a fight about it. And then she eventually, you know, gets, he gives her a ring. And, and that is what 
you know, that's what Jacob gets mad over it at some point um, because he sees the ring and, you know, he's like, you can't do that. Um, but it's the whole, the whole idea of the marriage and soul with these vampires. And like, that's one of the things in the book that, I mean, Bella, when she gets to Edward in Volterra and slams into him and keeps him from breaking any rules, ergo getting murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, he says, I guess, I guess Carlisle was right thinking he's in heaven because he gets to see Bella again. Mm. And, and later when you watch the movie, they have this little conversation, right? Standing right there where he's like, she's like, you don't have to kill yourself out of guilt. And he's like, Bella, this was never about guilt. I just can't live without you. Mm. That by the way, takes like five chapters to get through her, her skull. She basically is like, she's like, he, he's just doing this out of guilt. And he's like, I'm literally not. And she's like, no, you are. You just, you just don't know it yet. I'm not good. Like the whole thing. And, and she eventually is like, she's like, okay, well, I want to be a vampire. And he's like, I can't, I can't do that. And she's like, listen, dude, I heard you say that you guessed Carlisle was right. So don't tell me you don't believe you have a soul because you a hundred percent thought you went to heaven when I first jumped into your arms. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a huge portion of this book and I'm sorry, I'm probably going off on this huge tangent, but yeah, no, I, I I think that's, I think there's some really interesting flavor to that. I do think that the proposal, like I can imagine the, you know, massive cheers in the audience on opening night when that happens, I see that as like a fun moment to kind of end the movie on and like, Oh yeah. Leave people satisfied, have more to come in the next, in the next story. But I do think that, um, it lays out a more plainly like, like, you know, uh like like edward's christian kind of thing and i think i think having that like schism there would have made it mm-hmm. uh a little more interesting as a story uh, as we're kind of starting to uh run out the clock here uh we can start getting yeah. into our overall thoughts i think this is a more interesting text than the first film and i'm just going off the films as texts and that's largely because of like the psychosexual elements mixed with the christian elements um i do think it is a lesser movie it has less style i think the performances from stewart and pattinson are more phoned in in this one and i think that uh lautner really really doesn't step up to the plate with with his bigger role <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, just more interesting to talk about, but like overall, probably a worse movie is what I'd say. I mean, a significantly worse. Movie. I I agree with you. I mean, Lautner gets better as like in Eclipse and Breaking Dawn. He really, I think, steps into the role of Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see what you think as we continue to do these episodes. But I I agree with you there. I think there was a lot that was that could have been more, could have been more specific. Um, personally, I just love the, I mean, minus the last moment when Victoria comes into the frame in Twilight and you think, oh shit, she's coming back. Something's going to go wrong with her. Mm-hmm. It's a perfectly bookended movie. Like it, it could have been just a single book and we all would have been like, okay, yeah, you're in a vampire, fall in love. Okay, great. I almost wonder I almost wonder if a lot of the backlash wouldn't have happened if it was just like one book one movie. I agree. I completely agree. I think this I think New Moon, I mean, I said to you in the beginning like it's a forgettable book for most of us because mm. so much of it 
is focused on a character who we all ultimately know is not going to be what she ends up with. Mm-hmm. So like, and like, obviously I agree with, I agree with you. A lot of the psychosexual elements, a lot of the religion elements do bring an interesting discussion point. And it's, and it's really, and it's, it is really fun to discuss new moon because of everyone's varying strong opinions on the film and the text and the book and all of those types of things. But at the end of the day, it feels like a middle, a middle movie in a series of movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like Twilight had a full thought through vision and they worked hard on it. They, they were very specific about their choices. And as you said, I mean, the production company just wanted to get these out, get these out on top of each other to keep that momentum going. And I think it really feels like it feels like that type of movie Mm -hmm. that they that they tried really hard with what they were given, but ended up completely getting the mark, you know? Absolutely. Especially in comparison to the first one, especially in comparison to the first one. Absolutely. Uh, Rose, thank you so much for joining me once again. Uh, This has been a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to return to the Twilight Saga next time. Um, With Eclipse! With Eclipse! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) To those of you who have been listening, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any, you know, thoughts, I think think the Substack comments are subscribers only, but you can, you know, email them to me, I guess. Um, And if you like the show, you can, you know, rate it or follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to it. You can also share it with your friends, let people know you like the show. That's one of the best things you can do. Um, We might actually get to Barbenheimer next time. I know people who listen have been wanting wanting to hear uh, some takes from me about it. So, uh, yeah, you'll have to wait and see about that. Thank you so much, you guys. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.